Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well. I hope you're fantastic and fine and just comfortable and happy and you know, not uh, hungry or thirsty at all. I hope that basically you're just in perfect health and ready for another episode of Luke's English Podcast. It is a beautifully clear and sunny September day here while I'm recording this. This time of year always reminds me of going back to school after the summer holidays. And so because of that, I'm going to talk to you about some teaching experiences in various schools that I've worked in over the years in this episode. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about my experiences of being an English language teacher. I'll tell you what it's like from the teacher's point of view. I'll share with you a few really, really bad experiences I've had as a teacher, and then I'll explain what I learned from them. If you would like to read and study every single word of what I'm saying, then you can... Because there is a full transcript for this episode, which is available at teacherluke.wordpress.com. Just find or search for this episode on that page. The episode is called Number 145, Nightmare Teaching Experiences. There you can read every single word I'm saying. You can copy and paste words into Google to check them, or you can transcribe some of what I'm saying and then compare what you've written to the correct version provided on my website. There's lots of ways to use the transcript as a tool in your English learning. If you need more ideas, just leave a comment below asking for suggestions. You should also look out for some idiomatic expressions I use in this episode. I've scattered a number of idioms throughout the episode. I think they're useful, common and expressive ones. Can you notice them? I will deal with them in the next episode. So let's get started. Listen to my stories, leave your thoughts in the comments section and watch out for some idioms too. Right, so... I've been teaching for 12 years. I've taught in a few countries around the world, including the UK, Japan, France and Norway. It's a really great job. I get to meet people from all walks of life and all different countries. I've met some truly fascinating and amazing individuals. For example, over the years I've met high-ranking politicians, expert scientists, movie stars, executives from successful car manufacturers, IT systems engineers, computer games makers, World Cup winning football players, F1 drivers, musicians, even a porn star, and plenty of other people. In the classroom, I'm pretty much my own boss. I can be creative, I can have an idea in the evening and then realise it during the next day. I can think up my own tasks and have the students do them, for example a bank robbery or planning a TV show presenting their own political manifesto, role plays, 
comedy improvisation games, business meetings, and so on. Sometimes I can just make things up on the spur of the moment and then make them happen there and then in the classroom. I can see students learning and improving. I get to know my students and have a chance to learn about life all around the world. I sometimes have the opportunity to make the whole room laugh or to laugh myself at very funny people in my classes. I have opportunities to travel and see the world and I think that that is extremely important as a way of developing a sense of perspective about life in general. So I'm very happy to be an English language teacher. I think of it as a proper career which involves hard work and unique rewards. There are some downsides to the job though, which we shouldn't really complain about. I will at least mention some of the things which are a common frustration for career TEFL teachers. And by TEFL, I'm referring to teaching English as a foreign language. It's commonly called TEFL. It's just an acronym, teaching English as a foreign language, TEFL. So usually the frustrating kind of things about TEFL are that it's, um, it's that the job is undervalued by other people. It seems a lot of people consider a career in TEFL to be trivial and easy. For example, I'm sure most of my friends think that basically all I do in my job is sit in a lovely quiet room surrounded by four cute Japanese children, showing them big flashcards uh, with words like blue, red, green and yellow, good, and then have lots of holiday. But it's not like that at all. People always say things like, so how are the kids? Or, so I guess you're on holiday at the moment. And I'm like, I don't teach kids, I teach finance directors, and I don't know the meaning of the word holiday. Also, lots of people consider TEFL to be a holiday job. Like, oh yeah, TEFL, yeah, I did that on my year off during university. Some people consider it to be the job you can do if everything else in your life fails like it's a kind of step down to a more relaxed, less challenging lifestyle. A friend of mine once told me, sometimes I feel like just giving up, dropping out and becoming a TEFL teacher. The fact is, the job can be whatever you want it to be. If you consider it to be something you do while you travel, or something to do while you focus on writing your first novel, then fine. It can just be a means to an end. If you consider it to be a genuine career move and you find the human interaction, the pedagogy, the linguistics to be fascinating and you're prepared to work very hard at it, then it can be a great career. There are some millionaire English teachers out there. For example, Raymond Murphy, the guy who wrote English Grammar in Use. That's now one of the biggest selling books of all time all around the world. I wouldn't be surprised if you had a copy of that book yourself. English Grammar in Use by Raymond Murphy, otherwise known as the Blue Grammar Book. You probably have seen it. You might even own it. I'm thinking of writing my own book, actually. It would be full of grammar and vocabulary exercises, as well as lots of other things to read. It would be full of my humour, but it would also be really useful and a great companion to these episodes of the podcast. Would you be interested in that? Does that sound like your cup of tea? Let me know. Anyway, regarding TEFL, it's more challenging, professional, multi-skilled and demanding than people realise. It can be incredibly energy-sapping, emotional and painful at times if things don't go well. 
Of course, it can also be very enjoyable and rewarding. Sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it's very stressful. It's swings and roundabouts, really. But generally, I've found it to be a great career. I think there is a misconception going around that if you can speak English, you can teach English. But that's not the case at all. It takes years of experience and a couple of academic qualifications under your belt. It might even be possible to prevent people from learning if you do it wrong. I also hate that kind of charisma man, the guy who just loves the attention he gets from a class of learners of English and turns it all into his own special one-man show. He doesn't realise that, that they give him that attention because they're there to learn from him. Sometimes my worst fear is that I'm just another charisma man teacher. But of course, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Learning a language is not like learning another subject, like maths or history. You're not just learning information, but you're learning how to do something. And not something like cooking or playing tennis, but how to express yourself and interact with other people. There's something deeply personal about learning a language. And often the best students are the ones who throw themselves and their personalities into the learning process. So teaching English means working closely with people, and this can be wonderful. It can also be very challenging, ridiculous, embarrassing and difficult. I've worked directly with people before, in shops, restaurants and bars, and you learn after a while that a certain percentage of the people that you meet will either be weird, a twat, or just an asshole. It's just the way it is. It's human nature. There's always one person who makes life difficult. There's always someone who will throw a spanner in the works. Some people call it the one in 30 rule, that at least one person in 30 is just a dickhead. It's true in English teaching too, definitely. The majority of the students that you have in your class are great, but then sometimes there is one of those one in 30 students who will kind of screw up your class, spoil what you try to do, upset other students or convince them to turn against you. Sometimes you have a few classes that are perfect and everyone's great, you enjoy it, but in the back of your mind you're thinking, I'm going to get two or three of those 30s in my class next time. I know it. The reasons for why some people have to act like total dicks is, is a kind of mystery. But let me give you an example of what I mean. So, um, examples of things that people do or the things that those horrible one in 30 people do in class include huffing and puffing a lot when you ask them to do normal exercises. Huffing and puffing means kind of going, <sighs> you know, that kind of thing. So you ask them, okay, just um, let's do episode, uh, e let's do um, exercise uh, 1B, just a quick uh, grammar review. And they, and you, and you say, OK, you've got three minutes to do the exercise. Go. And there's someone goes, oh. and you think, what's the problem? You're here to learn English. So huffing and puffing. Constantly interrupting whenever you're doing something um, in class with completely unrelated questions. So you're dealing with something, you're right in the middle of something, and they just ask loads of completely unrelated questions. Um, being cruel to other students in the class to the point that none of the others want to open their mouths anymore. Disagreeing with what you say, even though they're wrong. Why? Nobody knows. Acting like whatever you're doing is really easy and boring, even though they're consistently getting it wrong. 
turning up late and getting very shirty with you if you bring up the subject, convincing other members of the group that whatever you're doing is wrong and that some kind of mutiny would clearly help everyone learn English, preventing anyone else from speaking and practising their English and assuming that when they speak, they speak for everyone, generally disrupting the class and destroying the nice atmosphere which is essential to creating the right conditions for learning. And for what reason? Usually because of ego or because of insecurity or being an especially spoiled brat who can't handle it if the universe is not spinning around them every second of every minute of the day. I realise that talking about experiences like this is especially negative and I hope that you don't get the wrong impression about my classes. The, the, the vast majority have been really great with some super cool people and a really positive atmosphere which allows language to develop properly. It's just that every now and then you have a bad experience, experience which sticks in your memory. But the crucial thing is to learn from these bad experiences which is not just true in teaching, it's also true in life. We regret the things we don't do and we learn from the mistakes we make and the bad experiences we have, which is a pretty damn good reason for going out there, being courageous and doing things for the first time. So back to those 1 in 30 people who can torpedo your class. If you've been a language learner in a classroom, you may have met one of these people. Usually they have no idea that they're doing something wrong, which is kind of frightening because it means that any time we could be acting like a total dick without realising it. Sometimes it's because they have a sense of entitlement. Being spoiled by their parents means that they're not comfortable unless everything is based around them and they have to be the centre of the attention. Whether that is good for everyone or not, they just have to be the centre of attention. This means that they just can't handle being in a group situation where they have to put others first or consider themselves to be one among many who have to work together to make the experience more fruitful for everyone. Sometimes I expect these people don't even realise they're being rude but think that they're actually doing something good. But it's not just the odd student who can derail a lesson. There are many other reasons. The teacher probably holds the most responsibility. I'd say it's something like about 60 to 40 between the teacher and the students. But also plenty of other things, including the time of day, the weather outside, the day of the week, the season, the nationality of all the students in the class, the facilities, so that's the room and all the other things in the room, the atmosphere, the light, the quality of the equipment, the seating arrangement, the noise levels, the number of students in the class, the material being used, whether it's published or not, or self-made or not, and the condition of the photocopies, and so on and so on. The list goes on. Many of you have probably experienced things from the point of view of the student. You probably have a different side of the story for what makes a good lesson. That's another episode of the podcast. I'd like to read your comments about experiences of being a student in a language class. Maybe you met some terrible teachers or shared classes with terrible students. Send me your comments, please. This episode really is a chance for me to share some nightmare teaching experiences with you and then to reflect on what I learned from them as a teacher. Why have I chosen the nightmare experiences, you might be asking? 
Well, because they're the more interesting stories and there are things I learned from those experiences. I think we learn more from our bad experience than, than from our good ones. I'd like also to share some of those things with you and just to tell you some stories that you might like to hear. I know I have a lot of teachers listening to this podcast too, so feel free to add your comments and stories below. Teaching is a great, important and undervalued job and it comes with a unique set of challenges. I think part of the uniqueness of teaching is the fact that as a teacher, you're kind of outnumbered by the students. There's more of them than there is of you. As a teacher, you can feel an, an enormous pressure to deliver the right kind of training. And if your students are not happy, that is a real nightmare for you because it means that somehow you are personally responsible. That may or may not be the case because as we, as we have seen above, there are many factors for a good lesson, but teachers often feel that they're on the front line. We can suffer a lot if a lesson goes badly, whether it's our fault or not. Sometimes weeks of your life can be full of drama and bad vibes just because your class is going badly. Of course, the students suffer too. In fact, that's the main point of all this. We're trying to help the students to learn English. But sometimes it just doesn't work that way and it can feel like either you're fighting some kind of pointless battle or that the gods are acting against you somehow. It's important to learn from bad experiences in class, as I've said, in order to learn how to prevent them or just how to react to them correctly. As learners of English in class, you also have a responsibility to make a class work well. It's great when students know this and work together with a teacher to allow a class to be a success. One of the roles of a teacher is to be a facilitator. That means to help to create the right conditions in which the students can learn for themselves. Being a teacher should not mean just standing there doing most of the speaking, lecturing to the class like they used to do in the old days. The teacher shouldn't really be at the centre of attention. The students should be at the centre of what happens in class. But that gives a lot of responsibility to those students. They have to work together, allow the right conditions for learning to develop, be unselfish, help others, attend regularly, etc. With the wrong attitude, the students can totally torpedo the lesson. With the right attitude, seeing everything as an opportunity to get involved in an active learning process, they can take a lesson to new heights. All it takes is for them to accept some responsibility for the success of a class, then enthusiastically take whatever the teacher gives them and run with it. It's also the responsibility of the school manager to create the right conditions for learning. Creating an air of respect or positivity in the school helps. Making sure classrooms are in good condition certainly helps. Giving the teacher the tools to do his or her job effectively definitely helps. Managing the numbers of students in class helps a lot. If you have too many students in a class, it can be very hard to teach them effectively. If students are dropping in and out of classes, it's hard to build a team spirit. If the students can just move up or down a level whenever they want, it can spoil any sense of unity, morale, solidarity or rapport, which is essential to creating the right conditions for learning. Also, the manager should put in place some method of ensuring that the students are divided properly by level. An entry exam plus an interview is pretty important. Also, a good balance of nationalities and genders in class is important. 
seating the students is crucial too. If they're all seated separately, with lots of space between them, it's unlikely that they'll be able to engage comfortably in speaking tasks. Teachers should try to arrange the tables and chairs before a lesson to bring the students close together in comfort so that they can see each other, interact with everyone, see the teacher and the board clearly. Putting students all around one table makes them feel that they're connected and working as a team. Putting them on separate tables makes it feel more like an individual test. Having them stand up and walk around can replicate real-life speaking tasks and allow body language to come into play. Moving the students can help the blood and oxygen flow better and prevent people falling asleep. Intelligence types are a consideration too. People learn in different ways. Some prefer analysing language. Some prefer to see visual representations of grammar or vocabulary. For example, timelines, mind maps or just images. And others learn best when involved in some physical movement. So a variety of activity types is important. Get the students moving around and interacting in different ways rather than just sitting at their desks for the whole lesson. We should also remember that you can't please all the people all the time and so there will always be someone who's not really into a particular activity. On those rare occasions that everyone is into it, everyone can reap the benefits. Preparation by the teacher makes a massive difference. The more you know about the students in advance, the better. You can then try to directly meet their language learning needs. Hopefully they all will have similar needs. That's the management's job placing students in classes based on their needs. Business English, exams, academic English, etc. Writing a careful plan with learning objectives and a good balance of language and skills work with all the correct types of support exercises, communicative techniques and so on is vital in assessed lessons but a very good idea in other lessons as well as a way of ensuring quality. But then again, it's important to know when to throw the plan away and just improvise a lesson there and then. You should teach the students, not the plan. There's no point doggedly sticking to a plan if the students don't really need that particular language point. Sometimes it's necessary to leave the plan and follow something that comes up in class and which is clearly what the students need or are interested in. Um, it's okay to go off on a tangent as long as it's relevant and the whole class goes with you. In fact, some of my best classes have been ones that have just gone completely sideways and you know, I've gone up into the class with a plan to, for example, teach them how to write a report and in the end we, we, we um, start talking about insects and uh, dangerous animals and whether you should keep them as pets or eat them as food, or put them in a zoo, you know, that kind of thing. So some of my best lessons have been completely and utterly unplanned. Um, teacher talking time, or TTT, that's teacher talking time. Uh, teacher talking time is something that we should cut down on in the language learning classroom. People often assume that as a teacher I talk all the time, and you could be forgiven for thinking that if you listen to this podcast. You might think, well, Luke just does nothing but talk, but this is the podcast, it's not one of my lessons. I've got a completely different approach in in the classroom, and it kind of involves me shutting up a bit, in fact. Um, so people assume that I talk all the time, uh, but in fact I believe that a really good teacher must be a good listener. 
We've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. You must listen very carefully to your students. Listen to their English to see what they need or what they're doing wrong. Listen to their reactions to different things that you do in class. That helps you to choose the right kinds of activities. And generally, you must listen in order to encourage them to speak. People are naturally more willing to talk extensively if they feel that someone is really listening. Have you ever talked to a friend but felt like they weren't listening? It makes you feel, oh, what's the point? I'll just keep my mouth shut. It's the same in class. If you feel no one cares, you're not going to talk. So the teacher should listen. Show your listening and encourage others to listen too. Listening is one of the most important parts of the communicative process. It's not just about talking at people. It's about getting involved in some genuine interaction. A lot of that is about listening effectively and listening actively. Don't worry, I'm going to start telling you stories about terrible teaching experiences I've had in just a moment, okay? Uh, I've nearly finished on this introduction. Marketing can also have an effect on your class. If the students have been led to believe that they're going to get something from a course, that is going to affect how they react to what you're doing. If your school has an amazing website that makes lots of grand promises, they will probably come into the class with lots of expectations, especially if it's an expensive school with a very good reputation. You have to be aware of those expectations and try to meet them immediately. An expensive school with a powerful marketing drive can set the bar very high for its teachers, putting all the pressure on them to deliver the end product. That can be, a very, that can be very stressful for a teacher, but it's also a good process to go through for your training. Um, as a way of training you into a good teacher because you're forced to raise your game. As you can see, there are loads of factors to take into account as a teacher. There are plenty of other things I could mention, but really I would like to just start telling you some stories of real teaching situations I've encountered. So I think we should just start now, okay? So we're going to start the first story I'm going to tell you. In fact, I'm going to tell you five stories in this episode, okay? Um... So, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you about five separate experiences. And the first one is my first teaching experience. Okay, so we're going to just talk about my first teaching experience. This was 12 years ago. And um, um, in my certificate course, I did a CELTA in my, my first um, course that I did to learn how to become an English teacher, I had to do sessions of teaching practice. That's where I had a class of students and I had to just go in front of them and teach bits of, uh, bits of a class. The first thing you did was sort of five minutes, then you did 10 minutes, then you did 20 minutes, and then you ended up doing a whole hour. So these were my first teaching experiences and it was awful for me, absolutely awful. I wasn't prepared, I wasn't ready um, as a human being I felt incredibly nervous and just really uncomfortable in front of people. I didn't know where to put my hands, for example. It seems kind of obvious now, uh, now that I've been teaching for a long time, you just put your hands by your sides and relax. But at the time, I just felt so uncomfortable and self-conscious. I didn't know where to put my hands. I also didn't know really how to stand in front of everyone. And I kind of awkwardly leaned and half sat on a desk. The students, I was quite surprised because the students were actually very rude to each other and completely lacked any sense of cultural awareness or sensitivity. For example, I remember um, I was getting them to do introductions. They were standing in a circle explaining where they were from. Uh, 
And one guy was from Iraq. So he said, yes, my name's, I can't remember his name. My name's whatever, and I'm from Iraq. And in, another guy immediately, um, once he learned this guy was from Iraq, he immediately went, oh, Iraq. And he started miming a machine gun, right? It was like pretending to shoot him with a machine gun. Oh, yeah, Iraq, yeah, you all shoot each other with machine guns. And I just did a face palm. It was just embarrassing. I had no idea about the language point that I was teaching, and I could only explain it by using the tense itself. So I, I was teaching the present continuous. So that's, you know, he is dancing or whatever. And the only way I could explain the present continuous was by using the present continuous. So I was like, okay, so he is dancing. We use the present continuous uh, to talk about something that we are doing at that moment. You know, not very insightful. Um, it can take you a long time to learn how to explain tenses without using the, the tense that you're trying to explain in the explanation. The best I could do in that lesson was print off a load of clip art uh, with people doing things like dancing, playing basketball, and the students just had to explain what was happening in the pictures. I guess it wasn't bad, but that was it. No real sort of development, just pictures. That's all I had. I had no voice. I couldn't really string a really coherent and confident sentence together. I had no engaging classroom presence. I was not able to frame activities effectively. I couldn't really get the attention uh, of the group. You know, I, I, had no I had no imposing presence in the group at all. I just came across as mild and weak. It was horrible. I used to dread those teaching practice sessions because I didn't enjoy them and I wasn't very good at them. It was just torture. I was really put off by the reactions of the students. Often, students in TEFL classes will look at you with a kind of pained expression on their face, right? They look as if they're in pain or they're angry. And this is because they're listening really carefully to you and possibly struggling to understand you. But whenever I saw this pained expression, it just went straight to my heart. You know, I just thought, oh my God, they hate me. They hate what I'm saying. I was crippled by nerves. I couldn't function. Every day after my teaching practice, I would go home and watch Bill Hicks videos to cheer myself up, wishing that I could have his confidence in front of other people. There was doubt over my ability to do the job at all. And in the middle of my course, my tutor warned me that I might fail. One woman said to me, seriously, Luke, why don't you just concentrate on music? Why do you want to become a teacher? It was actually quite difficult time because I couldn't really imagine having a career in music. It was too unreliable. I wanted some steady employment. But for the first five or six years before I did the Delta, I was in quite a shaky position as a language teacher, frequently wanting to get out of it, but not really knowing how to do it and not having the courage to just do something else. I remember there were times when I would come home after a difficult day and I'd think, I've got to get out of this job. I've got to do something else. But I'm still here now. Um, so, I don't know. In the end, perhaps I've decided to just make a go of it. I don't know if it matters to you or not, but perhaps you can relate to my situation then by thinking of your situation. What was it that led you to follow the career that you're doing? Did you always want to do that? I've never really known what I wanted to do with my life or quite where it is going. I just know I want to do what I do well and I want some level of success. TEFL might not be the high reward job, 
But ultimately, it's all about the individual. What can you do to make your dreams come true? With the right attitude and a desire to work, you can do anything you want to. Just be positive and work hard. Don't give up. Be dedicated. Don't let failures stop you, but see failures as an opportunity to learn. Look for possibilities beyond the work you're doing now. Think outside the box. These are all standard bits of wisdom for success. I wish I followed that wisdom all the time, every day, but you've got to try. So what I learned from my very first teaching experiences uh, were, or was, that confidence is vital. Even if you feel a little bit depressed or not in a good mood, it's important to put a smile on your face when you walk into the room. Put on a brave face because somehow your mood has a massive influence on the mood of a lesson. Also, knowing your stuff is very important. You have to study the rules of English grammar a lot so that you can answer any question that people ask you. At the beginning, it feels almost like you're making it up because you're unsure of yourself. I've I've had many times when I've explained bits of grammar and the students just didn't really believe me. It sounds strange, but it's true. So it's a question of kind of confidence and just being really sure of yourself. That comes from studying the grammar a lot and being really uh, well informed. So, and this confidence comes with time and experience. So the second teaching experience I'm going to talk to you about is called sweat and stress rashes. Sweat, you know, it's like, you know, when you're very hot and uh, sweat pours from your head. And it's very wet. A rash, as you may have, you may already know from previous e- episodes of the podcast, a rash is when you get like lots of little red spots on your skin, maybe because of an allergy or sometimes because of stress. So I'm going to tell you about an experience that I had that caused me to sweat and drop sweat onto the onto my students' books while I was monitoring them, and it caused me to develop a, a stress rash. Um, so sweat and stress rashes. Okay, this is when I taught my first multinational groups after teaching in Japan. So as you know, I, I taught in Japan for the first two years of my career, and then I came back to London. And for some reason, it was terrifying. Because generally, the Japanese are quiet, sweet, non-confrontational. Then I went back to London, where the standard of teaching seemed to be much higher. There were lots of people who'd been doing it for a long time. Lots of well-qualified career TEFL teachers who worked for Cambridge sometimes and things like that. Lessons were observed more. And generally, there was the feeling that the students had travelled hundreds of miles to come to London to study English, paying lots of money for an intensive English course, and so they wanted to improve fast and effectively. This was stressful for me, as I was used to dealing with small groups, using the same old material time and time again, not really dealing with much grammar, but working on creating a safe environment for Japanese people to feel comfortable speaking English. So when I joined my, f- my new group of 16 students from around the world, it was quite a culture shock when I realised that they were all from many different places that I'd never been to or met anyone from. I had students from Poland, Ukraine, Russia, Thailand, Saudi Arabia, Korea, Japan, France, Turkey, the Czech Republic and Brazil. That is quite a broad range, which is very interesting. But certainly... A lot of those countries are more direct than the English and the Japanese. 
In fact, I was quite surprised by the directness of people in the way that they interacted, showed their emotions clearly, like disagreement, and spoke quite loudly with some interruption. They were all keen to learn and to be challenged. They'd been studying with another teacher who they really liked. She was quite strict and did a lot of grammar with them, and they enjoyed that. So they asked me to do lots of things that she had taught them. In fact, no, they asked me lots of things that she'd taught them. So she taught them all this grammar and they started asking me questions about what she had taught them, kind of checking their knowledge, but also testing me too. I felt a sense of challenge and distrust and tension. They were already a group who knew each other. I was entering their circle as the kind of leader or alpha male and I was still relatively young and I looked young for my age too. If you can just picture the scene... They, um, so they'd been studying in this classroom for a long time and their previous teacher left and so I joined and I didn't know any of them and I just walked into the class and they were all there. They were all ready, kind of uh, friends with each other. They already had their seats that they'd been sitting in for sort of 12 weeks and then I come in, the kind of new guy, the new teacher and I don't look very convincing. I look very young for my age. I was probably dressed too casually too because I hadn't worked out that the way you look is very important. If you go in wearing a suit, people will immediately think that you're professional, serious and experienced. If you wear jeans and a t-shirt, they might not feel that they're getting what they paid for. I was wearing jeans and a shirt untucked. That's not bad, but these days I would always make an effort to control the first impression by dressing smarter so that they know they're getting a professional. Small details can be important. Also, it's good to be strict and not too friendly at the start and then ease that off slowly until you become more relaxed and friendly in the middle and then kind of motivational and trustworthy near the end of the course. Humour can help a lot, but you have to use it sparingly and dryly as well. If you go for big laughs and you make lots of effort then you'll probably come across as a bit of a dick who's desperate for attention. If you make subtle jokes which are understated and with a straight face, there's less chance that you'll come out of it badly and it will improve the atmosphere rather than make it awkward. You shouldn't really tell jokes, although I do, and I pay the price for it. I mean, you shouldn't really tell pre-written or well-known jokes. Usually jokes are received badly because no one really understands them. Sometimes a joke comes up that people love because they learn from it, but usually they just make the students feel bad because humour excludes them. The best thing is to allow the students to be funny and make each other laugh. This is immensely rewarding for them. You can help by allowing people to laugh, laughing yourself or engaging the students in conversation with a view to them saying something funny. You may even also be able to feed the students some funny lines which allow them to say something funny in response which lets them take the credit for any laughter which occurs. So I didn't really know any of that or know how to do it then. Instead there I was standing in front of them not making a very good first impression nervously attempting to keep control of myself and run an effective class. It was not a strong first few lessons. I would often get stuck on a grammar question, lose the answers in the teacher's book, get the CD on the wrong track, make mistakes on the whiteboard and so on. 
It was really tough and embarrassing. I felt like my reputation was hanging by a thread all the time. I went to class every day really early to get ready and I dreaded the arrival of the students. I would use copious amounts of energy running around the classroom in a stressed out state, my face bright red, sweat patches under my arms, my sweat actually dripping onto students' books as I leant over to help them. I developed a rash because of the stress. I had little red spots on my wrists and arms. Amazingly, I managed to work out grammar points and answer questions about them at the same time. There's a lot of pressure in dealing with grammar that you don't even know yourself and trying to explain something that you don't understand while everyone is looking at you. They say people's biggest fear is speaking in front of other people, like in a presentation or a speech. It was like that for me every day. That's pretty awful, but also ridiculous. It brought out the ridiculousness in me. I couldn't help seeing the, the whole thing as some kind of bizarre joke. Here's me in front of all these people from around the world, and I don't even know how it happened or if what I'm doing is useful at all. I developed a slightly eccentric teaching style with quite a lot of bizarre humour, which really came from my feeling weird to be teaching. Eventually it worked and I began to make the students laugh all the time and laugh quite hard sometimes. Um, the key thing was that I was using laughter to aid the teaching and not just to create laughter. Students began to tell me how much they enjoyed the classes because the atmosphere was good and that they really learned things. In the end, that class went very well. We all got to know each other and in some cases became friends who I'm still in touch with now, nearly 10 years later. So what I learned from this experience was that you should stick to what you know. Play to your strengths, but don't be afraid to take some risks because that's how you learn. Be yourself and add some personality to lessons. Not too much, though. You shouldn't dominate or anything. But students tend to respond well when you give something of yourself to your lessons. It seems that students are quite preoccupied by teachers expressing their own personality in classes. So don't be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable in class. But at the same time, you have to be completely sure and confident about the language. It's a difficult combination of being human and superhuman at the same time. Study the grammar, prepare well in advance, have fun and treat the students with respect at all times. Never get angry, never tell anyone to shut up. Go for a drink with the students or take them out of the classroom every couple of weeks. Don't get too close to them though because ultimately you are their teacher, not their friend. I looked young and students would never realise I was their teacher. Sometimes I'd have to convince them. New students would often come into class with a form from reception. They had to give the form to the teacher. They'd come in the room and look around and then give the form to the most teacherly looking person in there, uh, who was usually the oldest person. I would always have to put my hand up and say, I'm over here, yeah, I'm the teacher. Yeah, hello, my name's Luke. Yes, like Luke Skywalker, Luke, yeah. Lou, uh, I am my father, etc. Yes, hello, I'm the teacher, thank you. I guess, I guess you should look like a teacher or be aware that people have ideas of what a teacher should look like or behave like. You can use that to your advantage by being original, but it can also work against you if you seem unprofessional or inappropriate. Right, so the third uh, 
experience I'm going to share with you is called the whiteboard. Okay, just the whiteboard. Hello, listeners. Well, if you'd like to hear the story of the whiteboard, you're going to have to wait until the next episode because I've just reco- I've just finished recording the whole thing and it lasted for nearly one hour and 40 minutes, which uh, I think is a little bit too long to put in one podcast. So I've decided to cut it in half. Uh, and if you'd like to listen to the story of the whiteboard and some other stories, um, then you can listen to those in part two of this episode. Thanks very much again for listening. And uh, don't forget that you can check out the transcript for this episode at teacherluke.wordpress.com. And also that I will be dealing with some of the idiomatic language. Uh, those are expressions, natural expressions, which I've used uh, in both this episode and the next one. I'll deal with those in, uh, I guess, what will be sort of part three to this episode. OK, so thanks again for listening. And it's time for me to go. So bye, bye, bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.